This podcast is brought to you by Norfolk Southern. With technology like data crunching supercomputers and NASA like dispatch centers, they are developing a safer, more reliable railway that is redefining the world of transportation. See how Norfolk Southern is reimagining possible at nsrailtech.com. From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I am Sean Zeller. Nancy Pelosi, the longtime leader of House Democrats, just led her party to a triumphant election win. But she now has a fight on her hands from within her own ranks. Uh, I have overwhelming support uh, in my caucus uh, to be Speaker of the House. And certainly we have many, many people in our caucus uh, who uh, uh, could serve in this capacity. Pelosi wants to return to the job she held from 2007 through 2010 as Speaker of the House, the first woman to hold the position. But some of the newly elected Democrats, as well as critics in her current caucus, say the 78-year-old must make way for a new generation. They are threatening to block her ascension to the speakership. My guest today is Mark Sandalo, who covered Pelosi as the San Francisco Chronicle's Washington bureau chief and has written a biography of her. Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi's Life, Times, and Rise to Power. Welcome, Mark. Nice to be here, Sean. Thanks for coming on our show. So, Mark, you've written the biography of Nancy Pelosi. What drives her? You know, it could take 200 pages to explain that. I mean, she is different than most people. And, you know, how much of it's gender-related, it's hard to say. But, you know, you've heard about dozens of Washington leaders never get between them and a television camera. That's not Nancy Pelosi. Clearly, she has an ego. Clearly, she is ambitious. But, but her ego doesn't work the same way that most of the men we have seen work, uh, which is why it's always been puzzling at her grasp on the Democratic position for so long, because people say, oh, she probably wants to become the first speaker to return. And that kind of thing doesn't drive Nancy Pelosi. She wants Democrats in power. She wants women at the table. And, and without, you know, it sounds like I'm a staffer when I say this. Personal glory is something you just don't think about when you think about what drives Nancy Pelosi. Well, I've talked with some of her former aides and they say, you know, I asked them, this would seem like an opportune time for her to ride off into the sunset, the victor of the 2008 election. But none of them thinks she'll do that. And you're saying that's because she thinks she's the best person for the job. No question. And part of it is back to the gender issue. You know, when she walked into the White House for the first time as not just uh, not speaker, but as minority leader back in, you know, 15 years ago, she points out that these leadership meetings of the White House, president, majority leader, the Senate leaders, there had never been a woman in those meetings in American history before. And that's important to her, which is why she said if Clinton became president, she could have happily left. Then there'd be a woman there at the table. There's not another. Now, of course, there are other women besides Nancy Pelosi who could be speaker. But I, I think her argument would be, I'm the one who raised $130 million. I'm the one who was instrumental in selecting the candidates. I was the one who was instrumental in figuring out a strategy to win back the House. In the year of the woman, to throw out the first woman and only woman speaker would seem like a bad move. Uh, she grew up in Baltimore, not in San Francisco, the city she now represents. And her father, Tommy D'Alessandro, was a Baltimore politician of the old school, correct? And he, he's a guy uh, familiar with old school machine politics. 
Did that rub off on his daughter? That, that is his daughter. And this is what people don't understand about Nancy Pelosi. So her dad was a member of Congress when she was born. Then he went off and became mayor of Baltimore for her entire childhood. He was, uh, you know, a, 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 a short Italian descent man with fancy clothes and a fedora and he had cigars. He was your quintessential backroom politician, smoke-filled rooms. That's who Nancy Pelosi is. Ironically, she banned smoking in the Capitol herself. But her skill is not as a public speaker, as a motivational speaker. Her skill is those backroom calculations. Who should carry what legislation? How do we get this passed? Where should the money go? She is, uh, in, in the words of a lot of politicians, she's operational. And she's uh, willing to dole out favors and uh, dole out punishment as well as an old school machine politician would. She made it very clear when she became speaker um, that the days of Dick Gephardt had preceded her, that Gephardt would you know, put his arm around people and say, I really could use your vote on this. She would say the same thing, but, but she also would send a very clear message. And if you want to be on the committee that you want to be in, you will vote this way. If you want the DCC, DCCC to back you in your reelection, you know, you, you'll do this. And although she really didn't follow through with punishments that often, maybe she didn't need to. But there were people who missed key votes that suddenly found themselves without as much money for reelection. Yeah, it's inter- we, we wrote a story in CQ magazine a couple of years ago uh, after the last election where the Democrats did not do well in the House. And we found several Democratic uh, representatives to speak critically of her for our story. And I recall that a few weeks later, we got a letter from all of them saying basically they wanted to take back what they'd said. <laughs> and one wondered what had happened in the interim between them well, and the minority That's what's fascinating about this, uh, about this current coup or whatever you want to call it, the people who are trying to take over, you know, is that if they lose— if they don't take Nancy Pelosi down, life could get a bit uncomfortable for them in the next Congress. Right. Her critics say she's too old and too damaged by years of Republican attacks and should make way for new leadership. Here's Massachusetts Representative Seth Moulton, one of the anti-Pelosi leaders on CNN. The American people have been very, very clear that it's time for new leadership, and we can't answer that call by reinstalling the same leadership we've had since 2006. So Nancy Pelosi faces this leadership vote in a couple weeks where her own caucus, the Democratic caucus, will vote on whether she is the nominee for speaker. And then there'll be a vote of the full House come January on that issue. But uh, with these critics saying that she doesn't have the votes, what kind of fight can we expect from Nancy Pelosi right now to uh, win over any reluctant votes. So she is, uh, and I don't know this, but knowing her, I'm sure she's been on the phone incessantly with other members, reminding them of what she's done for them and talking about the role they can play in the Democratic Congress with her at the helm and asking, of course, you know, directly for their vote. She doesn't, you know, she hasn't lost one of these things before. She spent years battling Steny Hoyer to become the Democratic whip, and they took a vote right after September 11, 2001, and it was close, and she fought tooth and nail. And the reason they did that, they knew the victor was going to be in line to be the next Democratic leader and the next Democratic speaker. And she beat Hoyer out, and, and, and she's just been, uh, she, she's relentless with the way that she goes after people. And, and, and it's hard to tell. I mean, part of me wants to say, don't bet against Nancy Pelosi because she doesn't lose these, lose these things. I intend to win the speakership with Democratic votes. There's also a part of me that says all of her aides who say, hey, she's got this wrapped up, she'll never lose. It's because they've never seen her lose. And, you know, eventually right. people do. And she had a challenge to her position as minority leader two years ago from Tim Ryan, Ohio Democrat, 
She beat him two to one in the caucus vote, and she went on to become minority leader. But it's a different animal for the speaker because in January, she has to win a majority of the full House. So no Republican is going to beat her. But if enough Democrats withhold their votes, they could force the caucus to come up with a new candidate if they stick to their guns. And there's so many ways that members can do this. And this is one of the reasons people hate politics. If you said on the campaign trail, I will never support Nancy Pelosi, you can do that and still help her become speaker. All you have to do is vote against her in the caucus. She'll still get a majority of the caucus. And when it goes to the House floor January 3rd, you vote present. You don't vote against her. You vote present. But that's also not voting for her. And you, know, you have to do the math on this, but voting present lowers the threshold of the number of votes she needs because no one expects Democrats to vote for, for McCarthy. I mean, that's just right. not likely. The, the it's Republican never the candidate. Republican who's going to be put up by the yeah. Republicans. So there are lots of ways to play this. And what's interesting is that she says she is 100 percent certain she has the votes. And the opposition said they are 100 percent certain she doesn't have the votes. As you pointed out earlier, somebody is wrong. <laughs> good point. Good point. You're listening to CQ on Congress. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, NPR One, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll take a short break now for a word from our sponsor. You may know Norfolk Southern is the leading freight rail company that powers our nation's economy. But did you know they're also the innovation leaders that are reinventing the railroad as we know it? Using automated computing platforms, their freight rail network safely orchestrates the movement of hundreds of trains, while their data-driven predictive models can foresee maintenance problems weeks before they occur. And their virtual reality simulators are training crews more safely and effectively. With an array of new tech, Norfolk Southern is reimagining what's possible. Learn more by visiting nsrailtech.com. And I'm back with Nancy Pelosi biographer Mark Sandalow. Mark, Pelosi's supporters say she's a legislative tactician without equal, and they say that she alone can hold the Democratic caucus, a, a notoriously fractious caucus, together. Does the evidence support that? Take a look at the last couple of Republican speakers, uh, you know, in Boehner um, and in Ryan, and, and take a look at the difficulty they've had, the impossible time they've had keeping Republicans together. I think a very strong case can be made that the Democratic caucus that she oversaw is a lot more diverse in the Republican caucus. When you're talking about people like Maxine Waters and Barbara Lee from the West Coast, and when she was speaker, you know, she had people like Heath Schuler from North Carolina, you know, pro-life, anti-gay rights, conservative Democrats. She kept them all together. And one of the reasons she did that is because she could go to the left and she could say, look, I'm one of you. I've got you don't think I'm going to do this unless we have to. She had the credibility among the left to get them to come to the middle, and she had enough supporters on the right who brought them to the middle. And this is something that her folks have to be very concerned with. That was her great skill. What's coming out, though, in this last few days with this group that's very openly publicly against her, it doesn't appear she necessarily has that anymore. And is now easier to picture for the first time, assuming she wins this battle, her having a group, the same way that Ryan had the Tea Partiers on the right. Mm -hmm. um, and these aren't going to be the left necessarily, but anti-Pelosi people. And she says, you must do this, will simply say no. Right. Indeed. The, the, that Freedom Caucus, which ousted John Boehner from the speakership, has set the precedent for how to do it. One of the reasons some Democrats want her to step aside is because she has been so caricatured and so attacked by Republicans in their campaign advertising across the entire country. And therefore seeing 2020 and a big election where a new president or President Trump will be elected or a new president will be elected. 
are those caricatures, uh, you know, how do you see them in relation to the real Nancy Pelosi? What's interesting is when she rose up through leadership, she was exactly the opposite. You know, Steny Hoyer's face you could put on any statue on Capitol Hill, and it would make sense. Nancy Pelosi was a different-looking leader, and she was the fresh breath of fresh air. That's no longer the case. I mean, I, I asked my students at the University of California, should Nancy Pelosi be the next speaker? All of them are Democrats, almost. And, you know, half of them say no. And you ask them why, it's like, well, she's been there a long, long time. It's time for younger people. Now, those people don't see what she's doing behind the scenes. And it doesn't mean that she can't do that without being speaker. But, you know, the raising of the money and the putting people on committees and the situating of Democrats to be the opposition to President Trump is a critical part of her being speaker. In, in a day where, you know, Donald Trump can win the presidency with his skills for, you know, reality television, it may well be that those skills are not the skills that are going to get her elected speaker again. It's a very, very different world than the one when she entered Congress in 1987. Mark, she seems to use her status as a trailblazer, the first woman speaker, to insulate herself from her critics within the party at times. It was noted, for example, recently that many of the Democrats eager to deny her the speakership are white men. So how does feminism play a role in her politics? I mean, interestingly, when she was speaker, I remember asking in minority leader asking, does she still feel any sense of problem there? And she said, I felt this my whole life, but not when I became speaker, because members, whoever they are, they look up and they see that word speaker above the door and they could care less what gender or what sex you are. They know where the power lays. But, you know, she's fought. Um, you know, she was um, one of the reasons she came to Congress as late as she did her late 40s is because she had five kids in six years, which is a remarkable feat for just a biology. And, you know, she was had kids at home and she was chairman of the California Democratic Party, but she didn't want to have a you know, bi-coastal life where she had to go back and forth. You watch her on TV and she always got angry at me whenever I would say something like this. She's not a good, and I want to say speaker because that's the other term, she's not a good orator. She is frustrating when you interview her because she so sticks to her talking points that you, you never get her. She never jokes around in a way that she flies off the cuff. But, but her skill is this backroom operating, and that's not obvious to most people. And the Democratic caucus now has a fair number of women, and she's earned their respect and their gratitude, and she exploits that too. Put this in perspective. There have been, in the history of the United States, roughly 12,000 people who have served in the House and the Senate. Of those 12,000, about 350 have been women. That's it. I mean, women only earned the uh, constitutional right to vote 100 years ago. Uh, more than a third of those 350 women are going to be serving right now. So they're not even close to a majority. But but yes, it, it, it's, it's a deal. Now, again, I say this, but it doesn't have to be a white man who replaces her. It doesn't have to be a man at all. There are obviously other women, you know, like Marsha Fudge. Right, the one who's this. the Ohio representative, Marsha Fudge, an African-American, has said she's considering a run against Pelosi. And, and, you know, when a woman's, it seems to me that that, I mean, you know, Pelosi could argue, well, I was the trailblazer. But the argument there must be a woman at the table is, is immediately answered if the alternative is a woman. Right. So, Mark, you now work in the University of California's Washington office teaching students who come here for a semester. And we hear a lot about Nancy Pelosi's role as a national figure here in Washington. But given your experience, you have a, have a better frame of how she's viewed in California. Is, is she in, uh, in her home district of San Francisco? Is she a local politician there? 
she has been challenged since she got into leadership several times by people say she's not liberal enough. And, and that happens over, and people in Washington have a hard time seeing that. But she was challenged by Cindy Sheehan, the anti-war protester. Nancy Pelosi led the Democrats against the war in Iraq. But when she refused to leave the House effort to defund the Pentagon until they got out of Iraq, she was challenged. So, so I mean, I think that Nancy Pelosi is a pragmatist above anything else. And, and so I think people in San Francisco get very frustrated. Everyone wants to compromise. If Nancy Pelosi comes back and say, I worked out a great deal with Republican leaders, people in San Francisco are going to have protests against her. So if anything, they think of her as too pragmatic and, and too much of a moderate. But let me say that one of the reasons Pelosi has been so powerful is because she went to, she won the seat in San Francisco in 1987. It is as Democratic as any district in the country. She never has to worry about re-election, and it's rich. The combination means she can raise a fortune from people that she doesn't have to worry about spending in her own district, which is how she started being able to dole it out to other candidates all around the country. Now, the Republicans have already elected their minority leader for 2019, Kevin McCarthy, and he is also from California, which sets up an interesting contrast. You could have potentially the speaker from a liberal part of California and Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader, from a conservative party. Do you read anything into their report? Do you expect anything? It's like somebody asking, well, it's amazing. We have two New Yorkers running for president, Clinton and Trump, last time. I guess, but that doesn't really <laughs> describe either of them, and they're you know, worlds apart. The world of Bakersfield and Kevin McCarthy has little in common except for that CA after its name. It was San Francisco. Right, right. Thank you, Mark, for joining us. We appreciate it. Been a pleasure. And thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, NPR One, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter, at CQNow or at RollCall. <laughs>